Hello and welcome to Waypoint Church Online. My name's Jim, one of the leaders here at the church and uh, really, really happy that you're joining with us either live right now. And if that's the case, hello, put some comments in the in the comments boxes. If you are catching up with us later on, again, just really grateful that you're choosing to worship and listen to the word here at Waypoint Church. And perhaps you're checking us out through iTunes or Spotify. Hello for those that are listening right now. Uh, if you are new and you're thinking, I'd like to know a little bit more about this church, Perhaps you've been ninja watching us for a while, then check out our website and uh, hit the connect with us page. We'd love just to make you feel a little bit more welcome uh, here at Waypoint Church um, as we continue to minister with you and to you. Uh, so please do that. And uh, just a reminder today, obviously, is Palm Sunday or the beginning of Easter week, if you like, Passion Sunday. Uh, great chance just to remember and commemorate Jesus' triumphal entrance into Jerusalem, isn't it? It's such a significant week for us. Uh, for those of us who follow Jesus Christ, as you know, uh, we will be having a uh, an online pre-recorded service on Good Friday, uh, a bit more of a reflective service, and uh, we'll give you details for that over the next few days. So please keep your ears and eyes peeled for, for um, the information on that one. And then next Sunday, the moment that so many of us have been waiting for, we are back in the building for a live and limited numbers service. And... Uh, the tickets are selling like hotcakes, right? So if you've not got a ticket yet, check out our website again for that and uh, get yourself a ticket. We'd love to see you here. I know we're still not able to sing yet. I know there's certain um, restrictions in place as well, uh, but it's just going to be so good to get back inside the building and to see one another and to uh, stand uh, two metres apart, shoulder to shoulder, uh, and be able to listen to the word together, listen to the worship as well. So um, if you've not got your ticket for next Easter Sunday, uh, then please do so. It's going to be an amazing time of celebrating Jesus' resurrection, the new hope when he came back and uh, he uh, announced victory over death. And better do that together as a collective. It's going to be fantastic, isn't it? Okay, so back to uh, the last few days. So hopefully some of you have engaged with or did engage with our uh, day of prayer, our online day of prayer on Friday. Uh, really significant time for us. Uh, not only as a church, but also uh, I think as uh, as our impact the local community begins to expand as well. We want to continue to seek the Spirit of God um, as He continues to to call us into His mission places all over the place. So, certainly in our community, but also in our context as well. So. Please, uh, if you've had any kind of inkling of perhaps what the Spirit has said to you over on the Friday itself last week or perhaps over the last week, we would love just to hear from you. Send in your thoughts, perhaps a picture or a verse, whatever it is you felt like the Spirit has put on your heart. We'd love to hear from you as we continue to wrestle as a leadership as to what God has in store for us next at Waypoint Church. We're excited about it. I hope you are as well. As you know, Mark has been on sabbatical. Mark is our senior uh, leader here. He's been on sabbatical for the last three months and he is back um, tomorrow. Uh, obviously, if you're listening to this later on, this might not make sense, but he's back on Monday 29th. So continue to pray for him as well as he settles back in and gets up to speed with different things. Um, so it's, I'm sure it's been a refreshing time for him, but I, I'm, I'm sure we'll also hear about that as he speaks to us and as he interacts with you one to one. Back to today. So today is the last in our Pressing On series. If you've been with us for the last few weeks, then you'll know that Ian Coffey uh, from Moreland's Barber College, he has been giving some incredible um, uh, representations of, of some key characteristics of what it means to be a disciple, taken from the book of Philippians, four characteristics of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. If you've missed any of them, please again catch up with that 
on Spotify, YouTube, etc. Um, but today is the last in this series, and uh, we're really excited to kind of hear the combination of that. And uh, we're so thankful to Ian for the, the hard work that he's put in and the way in which he challenged us and uh, discipled us really through the screen. And uh, as we continue to kind of deep dive into discipleship since the beginning of this year, it's been a fantastic series of Follow the Unashamed. Uh, series that early on we did in the year. So uh, I hope you not only enjoy it, but really are just open to the Spirit as the Spirit leads you and engages with you and transforms you more to become more like Christ. Hello, it's good to be with you again as we come to the very last in our studies in Paul's letter to the Philippians. And these studies have been based around your theme verse for the year, which comes from Philippians chapter 3 and verse 14, where Paul says, I press on towards the goal to win the prize. We've been thinking together about pressure and how to face it, uh, partnership and why we need it, and passion and how to kindle it. And this week we come to the fourth theme that we're looking at, possessions and how to handle them. You may be a bit puzzled by that and thinking, well, not quite sure. Um, pressure, partnership, yeah, passion, we, we can understand that. But possessions, where does that come in? Well, if you remember, when we began looking at this letter, I said it was a thank you letter. Paul was in prison, uh, probably in Rome. One of the uh, elders of Philippi, Epaphroditus, had gone to visit him and had taken some gifts, money, uh, goods, things that Paul needed. When you were in a Roman prison, you had to provide your own food and your own clothing. And so the Philippians had sent a gift. And the real purpose behind this letter in the New Testament is to say thank you. But Paul has got so many good things he wants to pass on to his friends there. It takes him a bit of time to get round to the thank you. So that's what we're going to read about in a moment from Philippians chapter 4. Uh, some verses from that last chapter where Paul thanks them for their kindness and remembering him in the way that they did. Interestingly enough, today is Palm Sunday and all over the world, Christians will be remembering the entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. And as I was preparing for this week, I was just reminded, if you read in the Gospels, uh, Jesus sends two of the disciples ahead to a village and says, when you get there, you'll see uh, a young donkey, a foal, a colt, tied up. I want you to untie it and bring it to me. And if anybody says, what do you think you're doing? Say to them, the Lord has need of it. Somebody was willing to lend their young donkey to Jesus in order that the prophecy that was written in the Old Testament might be fulfilled as Jesus entered Jerusalem with the crowd shouting, Hosanna. So actually possessions and how we handle them is a theme that's very appropriate for today. We're going to read from Philippians chapter 4, and I'm going to begin the reading at verse 10. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need. For I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. 
I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is more that this may be credited to your account. I've received full payment and have more than enough. I'm amply supplied now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory for ever and ever. Amen. I want to think with you on two themes that come out from the reading that we just shared. The first is generosity and the second is contentment. Let's think about generosity. Paul commends this church for being generous. Now, not just one-off generous in the gifts that they sent through Epaphroditus, but he talks about them being consistently generous. Did you notice that? He says in verse 15, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, not a single church supported me in giving and receiving. That's an extraordinary thing. But he said, this church at Philippi again and again sent gifts to him to support the ministry that he was undertaking. So here's a church that Paul commends for their generosity of spirit, but also because they're consistent in their generosity. This year, I mark up 46 years in Christian ministry. And I was brought up in a manse. Uh, my dad was a pastor for about 50 years. So I think I can truthfully say I've been around church for quite a bit. And something my wife Ruth and I have noticed, that generosity is not just to do with money. Generosity is much, much more than that. What I mean is this. If people are generous in money, in their giving, they tend to be generous in their encouragement, in their hospitality, in their thankfulness, in their praise, in coming alongside people and sharing their time. Generosity is not about money. It's about an attitude of heart. There's that little verse that comes in uh, 2 Corinthians where Paul says, the Lord loves a cheerful giver. And that little word cheerful is a word in the Greek language, which in English we get the word hilarious from. It means to be open hearted. It means to be wanting to be liberal in our giving. And Paul's commending this church at Philippi, many of whom were not wealthy, some of whom didn't have anything to call their own, but had a generosity of heart. 
And that is a spiritual fruit in itself. And I think that's something that we need to reflect on. We need to reflect on it because it is a spiritual fruit. If you notice, Paul, when he writes there in, uh, in verse 17, he says, the thing that matters to me most of all is what's going to be credited to your account, laying up treasure in heaven, as Jesus put it. And then in verse 18, he says, your gifts are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. You see, friends, whenever we are generous, we demonstrate something of our gratitude for the grace of God that has been shown to us in Jesus. And Paul describes their generosity as part of their worship. It's something that not only commands God's blessing, but it brings pleasure to his heart. The commanding of the blessing, by the way, comes in verse 19, often a verse that people rip out of context. My God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. But you see, it's not a standalone verse. What Paul's saying here is when we're generous, when we're generous with money, with our time, in our service, then we can trust God to meet our needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Um, there's a big word coming up and I need to explain the word before I tell you the story that goes with it. The word is magnanimity. It very simply means big heartedness, largeness of heart. And that's what enables us to be generous people. And I read some time ago about a pastor in a city centre church in America who was wrestling with the church's vision for the next few years. They'd reached a particular point and they were saying, where do we need to go next? And the elders were going to have a meeting where the pastor was going to bring some thoughts, some initial thoughts about the, the strategy for, the, for going forward. Now, the church was in the city centre and uh, it was part of a, a block and uh, along from the block, about three or four hundred metres away, was a very swish city centre shopping mall. And often the pastor would go in there to one of the coffee shops or uh, restaurants and uh, would use it as a, a base for pastoral conversations. One particular day, his wife called in to see him at the church office and they needed to talk over a confidential pastoral situation. When they got down to the front lobby of the church, they saw it was tipping it down with rain. So they couldn't make their usual trip along to the shopping mall. But on the corner of the block where the church was, was a little diner, very scruffy looking place. They walked past it many times, but had never gone in. But in order to stay dry, the two of them sprinted along and dived into this little diner. They ordered their drinks and they sat down at a table by the window. After a few minutes, the lady who was obviously in charge came up with two plates on which were apple pies covered in cream. She put them down and said, compliments of the house, and left them. It was jolly good apple pie. So the pastor decided to change his normal pattern. And over the next few weeks, different members of the church staff were going to meet with him instead of going to the shopping mall he started to use this little diner the first time he went in it was virtually empty 
But bit by bit, as the weeks went by, he noticed more and more customers were there. And the same thing was repeated every time he and his companion would order a drink. And after a moment or two, the manageress would appear with cakes, biscuits, something that was a treat free of charge. He got to know the lady. And after some weeks, he said to her, you don't mind me asking, why do you do that? Why is it you're always giving things away? Well, she said, when my husband and I took this business over, we knew it was failing. You've probably noticed it's pretty scruffy and run down. And so we decided that we were going to embrace a single value. And that value is magnanimity. Big heartedness. The pastor rushed back to his office and began to write a paper for the elders board to consider. Our number one value, he said, has got to be magnanimity. We've got to be known as a church that gives and gives and gives. I'm really sad that I haven't been able to come and visit and see your wonderful new building. Circumstances have not allowed that, at least for now. But I know something about Waypoint Church. I know you're a generous church and I know you're consistently generous. I know that because the building would not be there if it wasn't for sacrificial giving and love and many, many prayers. But I also know that uh, the food parcels and those boredom packs and the prescription delivery service, all of these things that have kicked into gear through this past year of the pandemic. That's a generous church. And I want to thank God for you and encourage you to keep on doing that. That's part of pressing on, using our time, using our gifts, using our talents and our treasure to serve others, to be an outward looking church, generous in every way. The second thing that comes out of this possessions and how to handle them is the word contentment. I wonder if you picked it up. I tried to emphasize in the reading just now. Paul says, thank you for your gifts. But he says, and he doesn't say this in a dismissive, unkind way. But, do you know, he says, really, I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. He said, I, I, are there been times when I've had more than enough and there have been times when I haven't had anywhere to sleep or any food on the table but I've learned and he describes it in this way in verse 12 the secret of being content now what's the secret I think one of my youngest grandchildren George would have the answer because George has got the answers to most things he's just five years old but if I said to George this morning George Granddad's got a secret. What's the secret? He'd think for a moment and he'd say, well, Granddad, a secret is something that not everybody knows. You're right, George. A secret is not something everybody knows. So come on, Paul. <laughs> Tell us the secret of contentment. Well, it's there in verse 13. I can do all this through him that gives me strength. So, Paul, you're telling us that you're in prison, 
that you're facing a very uncertain future and yet you're content. Why? Paul says, because I know that I can face everything through Jesus, the one who gives me strength. I think that's a word for some of us this morning. Some of us who perhaps over the last few weeks and months have been more and more worried, uncertain about our finances, uncertain about our work, concerned about people that we employ, what, what's their future going to look like? How's this all going to develop in the coming months? Will the country be able to survive the economic downturn that's inevitable? Those are understandable concerns. But I want to point you to what Paul talks about as the secret of being content, knowing that whatever we face, it never takes Jesus by surprise. And whatever we face is up to it. And it's a reminder to put our trust in the one who is utterly trustworthy. You see, Paul here is not boasting. He's not bragging and saying, look what a super Christian I am. He's simply pointing to his experience. He says, as I've followed the Lord Jesus, as I've been faithful to him, as I've been committed to him, I've discovered I can face everything with the one who gives me strength. So that's a word of encouragement for those who've been having some sleepless nights to turn our eyes on Jesus and to remember he is the one who gives us strength. Now we live in a world where the advertising industry is predicated on working up dissatisfaction. Uh, listening to some of the media in the last few days, you'd think that having an overseas holiday this year is somehow a human right enshrined in law. There's some very silly people out there. Learning the secret of being content, knowing that as children of God, our lives are secure in Christ, whatever the future may hold. It's been interesting this week as we've marked the first anniversary of lockdown, listening to people on TV and radio being interviewed. And the number of times the theme has come up of rediscovering what really matters. What are the important things in life? Again and again, it's relationships. It's the small things, hugging, going out for a walk, sitting down and enjoying a meal with friends, face-to-face -face contact. They're things that money can't buy. And they're the things that we need to invest in and treasure. But some of us have parents who live with the, the whole pressure of, well, so-and-so's got that, or his mum and dad bought him that. Having to make wise decisions about our priorities and modelling for our children that possessions such as cars, houses, cash, savings, those are things that are entrusted to us. They're gifts from God and God wants us to use them wisely and well. Think today on Palm Sunday of the people who had a young colt and when they saw two men untying it and said what do you think you're doing all they had to hear was the Lord has needs of it and that's fine 
wonder if there's something in our possession today where the Lord is saying, I've got need of that. What is it that he's asking you to share with others in the name of Jesus? You see, what we model to our children, what we model to one another is that possessions ultimately are a gift from God. And that's why we should always hold them lightly, not tightly. That we should be generous, not grasping. That we should learn to practice contentment, not restlessness. Those are challenges, but they're challenges that we need to embrace as people who are pressing on. Chuck Swindle's written a, a lot of books, and in one of them, he tells a story that goes back to the end of the Second World War. Some of you listening to me will be old enough to remember rationing and how when rationing was eased, all sorts of things began to appear in the shops that hadn't been there for some years. And in the story that Swindle tells, it's about an American serviceman who's been serving in uh, an area of bombed out Britain. And he's gone into a baker's shop and in the window of the baker's shop, all kinds of lovely cakes have started to appear. And the serviceman is picking up a box of cakes to take back to the base to share with his friends. And as the baker is getting the cakes from the window and putting them into the box, the serviceman notices there's a, a young boy about 10 years old looking through the window at these cakes with the kind of look that only Labradors and 10 year old boys have. The man pays for the cakes, takes them to his vehicle outside, and then he just gets a sudden prick of conscience. And he turns around and the little lad standing by the window and he, he gives the box of cakes to the little boy and says, they are son, they're yours, enjoy them. He turns around and walks back to his vehicle and as he gets to the door of the vehicle, there's a tug on his uniform jacket. He looks round and sees the little boy standing there holding this box with his eyes just wide open as if all of his Christmases had come in one gesture of kindness. The little lad says to the man, Mister, are you God? And Swindle adds this line. We are never more like God than when we give. Friends, at the start of this Holy Week, we remember with reverence and wonder and awe that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Godliness is about giving. It's about generosity. It's about practicing contentment. In Jesus' name, let's press on to the goal to win the prize.